Chris, you were able to pull up some footage or some old uh, archive photos of the Florida coastline and then kind of do a comparison to uh, what it currently looks like. And um, I don't think we've really had a chance, opportunity to discuss the dynamics of Hurricane Michael here on on the show. I know we did a special show Wednesday night and Thursday night. I think we were all so tired. We just kind of, uh, we kind of just zoned out for a little bit and just took a night off. So uh, this is our first show back together talking about this, but uh, this was a category for hurricane Chris. Um, Sometimes, sometimes I'm not even saying a lot of times when we're talking about hurricanes, we're talking about the water aspect and we did have the storm surge aspect with hurricane Michael, but I feel like this is the first time in a very long time that we actually had to deal with the wind aspect. Uh, those damaging winds from a hurricane over a, a long period of time. And some of the, the, the photos that you've seen, Chris, we really saw category four damage winds down in the panhandle of Florida. Oh, you went mute, Chris. Sorry about that. <laughs> technical difficulties. But anyways, yeah, I, st- I started a couple nights ago uh, downloading some of the raw imagery. NOAA provides, uh, you know, after I, I think it's every storm in, since like Isabel in 2003, I think it was. Um, don't don't hold me on the uh, year of the storm, but I, I know it was like 2003. So basically every you know hurricane since then, uh, you can look at, uh, you know, the, the after images and, and really high resolution. So you know, that's something I've been working on for the last couple of days really hard. Um, I'm going to share my screen here just so I can show you guys kind of what uh, Scotty was talking about with some of the before and after. I got Metzger, uh, Metzger Beach, Florida pulled up here, and you can see the before and, and kind of get a, a feel for it. You know, small beach town, uh, probably something along the lines of, you know, Folly, uh, maybe a little bit bigger scale than Folly. Um, not a whole lot of big buildings. I, I think there was a – I think Don Homie did this also, but I think there was a – a local ordinance in town where you couldn't have any buildings over three or four stories. So, so not a lot of, you know, big time commercial development, like we see in the Grand Strand, especially in Myrtle beach. But uh, just to zoom in here, I'll go down here to the area around 24th Avenue. Uh, there's 25 or 25th Avenue. And just for example, this little area right here has really caught my eye on some of the post storm imagery. Uh, you can see this, this big forest right here, right where my cursor's at. And, you know, th- this is you know, probably, pine, live oak, stuff like that, stuff you normally see, you know, co- coastal uh, areas right off the beach. But here I'm going to pull up the after image. And here is the same exact place. And, you know, just, just analyzing it, it, it's absolutely remarkable to see the damage, how, you know, just how widespread it is. You know, storm surge is one thing, and then you got cat four, cat five winds on top of that. So, you know, we're who knows what the the final numbers are going to be as far as storm surge, but you know, eight to ten feet possibly, maybe more, uh, with you know, 150 mile an hour winds on top of that sustained with higher gusts. I mean, that's that's like an EF3, EF4 tornado damage right there. I'm looking at it, it's and, and some of that's almost you know, EF4, EF5 damage because there's literally nothing left, and that's probably you know mainly to do with the wind. But just looking inland, like that same forest is littered with debris from all the homes that it destroyed, you know, on the beach. And, and I, I remember that from Hugo in 89 here. And it was, it was like that here where just the surge and the winds just drove it as far inland in the estuaries and marshlands as, as possible. It was insane. And right. And go ahead, Scott. Chris, I was going to say, and uh, you, you have been out on the plains chasing 
um, tornadoes. And I know you've had the opportunity to visit Joplin, and, and as have I. And I wasn't there on that um, May afternoon in 2011 in, in Joplin, Missouri, but I remember seeing photos. And I remember going back to, I was back in Joplin just a few years ago. And I can only imagine, I can only equate this this wind damage to those of Joplin and more Oklahoma, these EF5 tornadoes that just ravaged those, those communities and, and nothing left. And I look at these images and, and they're just very eerily similar to me. Uh, this is this is EF4, EF5 tornado damage at a on a widespread scale. You know, with, with tornadoes, they're they're the, the the damage is in is in pockets of places, but this is widespread and it just it's it's fast it's just fascinating to me that this is I think the first image that a lot of folks are seeing of what wind can really do when we get these powerful storms to move through. Uh, absolutely. I mean, like I said, the, the power of water is one thing. You know, you get eight to 10 feet of water that's just coming in. And I, I know uh, I've checked the Twitter uh, feed of Mark Suddeth, an amazing hurricane chaser. And I, I think we're going to have him on the show coming up. But, uh, you know, he said he said what he saw was really incredible. He's never really seen before. He equivalented to it, you know, uh, basically storm surge being injected by like a jet engine as it came on shore. You know, there was no wave action. I actually saw some of his video. And, and there was no wave action. The only thing I can probably hypothesize with that is just, you know, there's just so much velocity pushing the water. There's there's no chance for it to get any kind of chop or any kind of wave. You know, it's, the wind's just blowing that hard. I mean, but no, like guys. you said, this yeah, this this is EF4, EF5 tornado damage. I mean, the, all these places right here, there used to be houses. I looked at this area last night uh, comparing GIS data, and just this little area that I'm sharing my screen right here, there's two homes that remain. Uh, one is right here where my cursor is and the other is up here. I didn't really count the multifamily stuff because uh, it's just built differently. But all these homes in here are gone. I mean, they're, they're absolutely gone. I was going to say, uh, what if you wanted to get right up about this with building codes and some of these buildings being older before codes were strictly enforced. And um, so going forward, it's going to be a real question of uh, resiliency for the coastal areas and, and how they're going to rebuild. Um, but uh, one thing I wanted to address with those pictures is the death toll. Now, I know, I know it's an uncomfortable topic, but it's an important topic as well. Uh, the last I looked, we were at up to 18. Is that number still there or is it higher now? I think it's pretty close ballpark, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That last pretty I saw, I haven't been you know, checked in too hard today. And, uh, you know, like I was saying with this little general area right here that I was checking, um, the other night I, I was doing some GIS stuff. And where my cursor's at right here, this this little side street that goes down to where this house used to be on the at the end from oh, let me zoom back in here. Sorry. Uh, from basically where my cursor is all the way to the left to the waterfront here. There was 39 homes of those 39 homes that were there. There's only two left and one being right there and the other being right there. That home was built in 1965. That home was built in 2012. The average year, of those homes construction that were demolished were 1971. So the building code was quite different then. And, uh, you know, I'm going to keep digging at it just to, you know, try to get a scope of, you know, basically large scale you know, some of things to really try to put together, you know, what we can do better from communication, forecasting and stuff like that. To, you know, people that really need to know this, you know, when when storms of this magnitude happen, because, you know, it, it, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to say this. But if if you were along the coast and, and one of these houses are destroyed, your chance of survival is very slim. And that's just something that we need to communicate. It's not, you know, 
I know it's a sensitive topic, but it's not over, you know, over hyping, sensationalizing. It's just the, it's the fact. No, you're right. It's like a real deal. There's yeah. no with this storm. There's no overhyping it. It was it was going to be catastrophic either way. The best words you could get out there were to emphasize how severe it was going to be. I mean, really, that's right, all we right, could do. Right. There was no. We had to take the gloves off on this one. It was just it was just a bad situation all the way around. Yeah, and uh, you know, I can remember from Charlie in 2004. You know, Charlie was. I can't remember exactly. I think it was either a high end cat two or low end cat three. And, you know, it went through rapid intensification as it, as it approached, approached the Fort Myers area down in you know, Southwest Florida. And, you know, it was, it was basically cat five, right at cat five, just like Michael was at landfall. And, you know, seeing these storms, how they, you know, intensify so quick, you know, it's happened before and it, it, it's going to continue to happen. And what's really maybe stood out to me more than anything is, is, you know, the, we always talk about the models, you know, none of the models had this thing at nine, nine, 19 millibars at landfall. I, I know two days before landfall, I saw nine forty, and I kind of chuckled, but looking back on it, it's like, wow. Um, just, uh, I was looking up the death toll, uh, the USA today's latest, um, article, which came out at five thirty this afternoon has the death toll now to 33. Mm, yeah. Uh, thanks, Melissa. She just sent me a message also. Melissa Griffin from uh, over at State Climatology. Yeah, 33. Uh, it's awful. So that, uh, that is 23. Uh, 23 folks from Florida uh, died from this, and then the additional 10 from different states, which three of them were here in North Carolina. And I know there were several deaths up in Virginia from the flooding. So, um but, you know, guys, it, looking at this, and we're going to get to tweets in a week at, in just a second. I, I, you know, the, 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 some of the mainstream media, they talk about, you know, this come without warning or whatever. You know, we've heard that jargon um, numerous times. But in all honesty, it, Michael, just uh, over the weekend, last weekend, was, was a tropical depression. And then it, it made landfall on Wednesday as a Category 4, almost 5 hurricane. Uh, Michael developed pretty quickly. And, uh, Shay, you know, we you were talking about rapid intensification. Uh, this storm really went through that, and we can only really contribute that to a, a favorable environment. But the Gulf of Mexico, those, those waters were really warm, and that helped fuel the storm. No, you're exactly right. NHC uh, barely had this coming as a hurricane at five days. Um, as time started to go on every 12 hours, we were seeing the numbers going higher. Um, we saw, you know, a hurricane with potential category one, a uh, higher category one. And then 12 hours later, we see a, a low end category two. Another 12 hours, we're seeing, you know, high end category two. And all of a sudden it's major hurricane within three days. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of factors to that. First of all, upper shear in the atmosphere, a lot relaxed. Once it got north of the Western Caribbean and out of that upper shear environment, uh, then the, the vertical stacking was allowed to really grow around the storm. Uh, it took a little while. It took a, quite some time to get an, a closed eyewall right before landfall. So there was a, it was one, at least one quadrant that was open on that eyewall, mainly the southwest quadrant. Uh, but it moves, when it moved north in between Cuba and the Yucatan Peninsula, it moves over what's called the loop current. And the loop current is a is an ocean gyre, which is a constant spin motion, and it's constantly turning the waters there. It's a, it's also the warm water conveyor belt for the Gulf Stream, the beginnings of that, which come around the south tip of Florida. So you have a lot of warm water coming up from below, 
and coming to the top, which is constantly, it's, it's constant feed of surface waters. We call this thermohaline currents. And so you have that going on. There was a little bit of cool water upwelling in the northeast quadrant of this ocean gyre, which for one night, the wind stalled. And I think at about 110 miles per hour. So we kind of got, I would say we kind of got lucky there because if it had continued to increase rapidly on the wind speeds, we probably would have had a Category 5 uh, at landfall. Um, but that's that's pure speculation. There was a slight cool area of uh, cool water upwelling along that northeast quadrant of the loop current. But once it got to the north of that, those waters were unstirred, untapped for pretty much the entire summer. We really didn't have anything. We usually we get storms that come across or cold fronts that drop down and sort of cool the waters and churn them up. Uh, or some some direction of wind that will do that. But the water was very warm. You're talking 82 to 86 degree water. That's very deep. So you're talking two, 300 meters deep. Um, so that was a major source of fueling for the storm as it lifted north out of the upper shear environment over warmer waters. And there you go. Once that eye wall started to close off there in the last 24 hours and really get a core and a secondary wall, that was it. I mean, it really, it blew up. Um, so yeah, very unfortunate, but the, the NHC forecast tried to tune every single day. There was always this thought that there was going to be a rapid intensification process. We just weren't sure to what degree. And um, that's a topic of great study right now in the tropics discussions and tropical studies for that matter. So, you know, it, it's a constant science being learned from. And the thing is, is the word was put out, you know, plenty of time for folks to know that there was a, a storm coming that was gonna be some great magnitude. Even in category one, we've seen category one hurricanes, even Florence and made landfall. What kind of impacts could that have? The only good thing that we had going throughout the storm was that it was gonna be on the move. It wasn't gonna be a stalling storm. So we're lucky there. Uh, but it, it sure did a huge footprint of damage from south or from that panhandle of Florida all the way up through the Carolinas and even parts of the, the mid-Atlantic region. You know, Jared, um, I think it was that Tuesday night or something after we did our show, uh, you and myself and I think Chris, uh, we watched the 11 p.m. advisory come in and we were just at all as Michael was approaching the panhandle, just how it continued to gain strength so close to the coast. Normally we see the opposite. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. But again, as Shay said, man, those, those, I mean, those waters were deep. They were warm. Um, and it, it had nothing stopping it again. You know, we were, I was watching when we were watching the landfall on Wednesday, I had, um, you know, I had a AWIPS two up with the, uh, the geostationary lightning mapper up and we were seeing lightning strikes. We were seeing flashes all within the eye wall right up to landfall. And then even a little bit afterwards. Yeah. And yeah. It, it, it did not stop. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, and don't got to remember to mention the mesovortices, and that's a big word to throw out here to the viewers. But mesovortices are basically swirls within the eye wall. So normally, you think of an eye wall as just being this round sort of wall of clouding and winds that are all going in a specific direction. But then what you get is as the storm is intensifying rapidly, it's undergoing rapid cooling aloft, and the thunderstorms and the updrafting are to such a degree from the surface up through the middle that you get swirls around the sides of the eye wall and then the eye wall becomes entrained with these things and so these little mesovortices really pack a punch they actually can throw, show wind gusts much higher than the sustained winds of the actual hurricane numbers and that does a lot of shredding and ripping uh those produce they spawn a lot of 
large-scale, fast-moving tornadoes right under the eye wall right there along land, which is probably a majority of some of the damage that's done down there right around that eye wall and those mesovortices that are just rotating within the eye wall and tearing things up. Yeah, yeah Shay, and, I, have, and, I have it up on my screen. I have it up on my screen. If, if Shay, if you want to kind of highlight and, and talk about the, the mesovortices, we, we've seen this kind of like a pentagonal-shaped eye for a little bit, and that's what you were talking about. Right. Yeah. I, I could, uh, I don't know if Jared has a second to, or maybe Chris, um, one of the one minute goes imagery shows that really well. I can pull that up in a second, but what you're seeing there yeah. is a, a rather asymmetrical eye wall. It would appears to be now if on visible satellite, it looks rather symmetrical, but you can see the bulging inside of the storm, uh, with those mesovortices. Now what you don't see are singular rotations going on around that eye wall, but just think of this thing as a wobbling, uh, band of tornadic or rotational activity within straight line winds constantly running you know aiming down the winds are basically just coming right down to the surface blasting everything in its path and then you get rotations within that so each one of these little bulges is a mesovortice that is um really just doing a lot of damage now this i think this was uh this was before landfall though right yeah i can see barely yeah. see the outline of land and um this is also an eyewall replacement cycle stage right here that you're looking at. So uh, some of that can just be tuned to the eyewall trying to restructure itself and maybe not so much of the mesovortice action, but there is, um, I think Chris has got it up right now and you can see that better on visible satellite. As it got closer to land, those really stood out more and you can see it here. I've got another one that shows it a little bit clearer but the eyewall is a little bit tilted at this point, but you can <clears throat> inside of that, Mm -hmm. there's individual rotations going on so that that's a it's a really unique feature yep. it shows very powerful winds going on that's that's a sign of a very powerful hurricane or a super typhoon in the western pacific and i wonder if we can get the imagery of the scar that it left because i know that there was some there were some questions over whether that was just a well-placed cirrus cloud or something like that but it was confirmed it left a 30 mile wide scar in the florida panhandle now tornadoes leave scars all the time we're used to that. But this thing left a 30, it was a, essentially a 30 mile wide tornado damage scar in the panhandle. Just really just, just mind blowing when you see this. Um, and, and that again, it just owes itself to the power of this storm. And, you know, and, and we, we neglect South Georgia at our peril because they were having, they were, Tallahassee was issuing extreme wind warnings all the way into Southwest Georgia for 110 mile an hour sustained winds. Yeah, Jared, I got it pulled. I got it pulled up right here. This is all the post storm imagery, but I mean, right yeah. where my mouse is, at, you can you can clearly see it from you know Metsco Beach all the way in toward Overstreet and just that streak. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's something that we're used to seeing in Joplin, in Greensburg. Yeah, absolutely. And this time it's on a much larger scale. So let's see. Let's back it up. Here's my. Here's a. Uh, Right there at landfall, you can see those things swirling around the eye. Um, back it up and do it again. There's a singular loop there. I don't know if it's going to work now. Harpy's Law. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I can tell you guys something I'm actually kind of curious in to see to see the final numbers. I, I'm just curious how much force is going to you know be totally destroyed from this because you know just like I still got the screen share up here and just seeing so so many. I mean, everywhere you look, all the trees are, are broken. And and the 
one of the crazy things is I'll share this uh, one image of this neighborhood here. This is in Callaway, just like east southeast of, of downtown Panama City. But uh, you see this uh, neighborhood here, and most all the homes have taken some kind of damage, roof damage, but all the pine trees are snapped. Uh, you know, they're snapped 10, 20 feet off the ground. Uh, you can see kind of, let me see if I'm finding you guys are really good. Uh, kind of right here, you, you see these shadows. And, yep. and in the shadows from what's standing left of the, you know, the trunk versus the, the rest of the tree that's just been snapped, you know, 20 feet off the ground laid over. Uh, you know, that's, that's really incredible to see. I remember after Hugo here in Charleston, it was the first time I'd ever seen the sun set on the actual horizon through trees because wow. they were all matchsticks and you could just see the, the sunlight going all the way down. It was, uh, it was pretty intense, but um, yeah. So, um, I know we're starting to get towards 9.15, Scotty. I'm not sure what, what you guys want to continue on um, on uh, Michael, but I, I can go ahead and do my, my tweet of the week, which is right on um, right on target for it. It's a good it. segue. Yeah, good segue. Uh, so this is one of the um, – in fact, let me go back to this one. This is Mark Suddeth. We talked about him earlier. He's going to be coming on our uh, show in December and talk about his experience down here. Now, this is one of the pictures he took. And um, – he said somebody's wind tower, <clears throat> weather flow, uh, did not make it. So U.S. 98 east of uh, uh, Tyndall Air Force Base, and you can see this. This is a uh, this is a deployed weather observation tower, and this was deployed by the University of Florida in partnership with our company, Weatherflow, and we strategically put these out just ahead of storms. Once we get a good idea where the eye is going to make landfall, usually within probably 12 to 16 hours. I mean, we have to wait until we're absolutely sure. We did it for Harvey and got some really good eye data. This one was gonna be dead in the eye to be able to get some really good data from it. However, you see what happened to it here. It's laying across the highway, bent up and, and torn to shreds just about. This is what it looked like before. This thing's about this thing's about 40 feet high. It weighs 6,000 pounds and here it is. So the funny thing is look where it's positioned here across the highway. And look where it's positioned here, about 50 to 60 feet away, away from the highway. So you can see that how powerful the storm is when it's, when it's able to blow a weather station, an observation tower like this, 50, 60 feet to the north during an east eyewall wind. So that, again, furthers or suggests that those mesovortices or that rotational uh, track around the eye wall is something to be dealt with and that that just being able to throw something 6,000 pounds all the way over there across the highway and destroy it is um, you know just a another testament to show what the homes went through and all the structures there definitely so and kind of correlating with the Michael theme uh, Jerry do you have yours pulled up yeah I do I sure do so this comes to us from Waffle House which you know it FEMA uses Waffle House as a determination of how bad a disaster is. Waffle House closed in Panama City, but they were not down very long. They rolled in their food truck, and um, this one corrects the address, but this is but this is incredible. They roll in their food truck, free food to help out, you know, help people out, help them as they recover, and and I just love this hashtag: scattered, smothered, and recover. Like, isn't that cool? Like Waffle House is so cool, like that was always a treat growing up and, and like, they're just what they do for storms. I mean, they have a whole storm center. I, I think we've used that as a tweet of the week before on here. They have a whole storm center. They monitor this very closely and, and you know, they have meteorologists on staff 
easily the best meteorologist job ever. Sorry, National Weather Service. Um, but I mean, this is this is just cool. Like like again, this is a you know this is you know you, you, so many things you hear you know about you know you might hear about malfeasance or anything like that. But this is but this is a an, a pure example of good right here. And they just pull right in front, and it's like only the S is left. The rest of the sign is blown out. Um, but they pull up and, the, and they're serving people and, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really fantastic. Love stuff like this. I hate, hate that it happens, but you know, but they're ready. I, I love this kind of preparedness. Yeah. Their sign looks like something off of wheel of fortune. <laughs> That's true. Well, a little, a little, um, a little teaser there. We might be hearing a little bit more about the Waffle House index as, uh, it looks like maybe beginning of next year in January or something like that. We're going to have, uh, have some folks on from the Waffle House to tell us all about uh, the Storm Center and what they do for communities before and, and after a storm. So I was really excited to receive that email today um, from from Pat uh, Warner, who is with the Waffle House. So uh, Pat said, I, I'm still in the Storm Center right now. We're covering from Michael. Let's talk next week and get something on the books. So uh, we are looking forward to having representatives from the Waffle House owner show, hopefully uh, in the next couple of months. So uh, that is exciting. Uh, Chris, I see you have yours pulled up, so we'll go to you. Absolutely. So my tweet of the week's going to come from uh, guys, base hunters chasing uh, Scott Peak and Colt Forney. Uh, big, huge fan of them. Uh, definitely a huge fan of Colt because of his photography, as you guys can see here. But, uh, you know, they were down and, you know, chasing Michael. And this was taken from Tyndall Air Force Base. Uh, Colt shot this, you know, 14 millimeter wide angle shot standing right in the middle of the hurricane, uh, the eye of Michael, full sunshine. And it, as he says, we heard thunder a couple of times in the eye wall and could hear the roar of the wind around us. A very surreal experience. And I think this is around Highway 98 that, that goes down toward uh, Mexico Beach. But I mean, just look at this. It's absolutely gorgeous and, and, and deadly. I mean, it's just so many things all wrapped into one. I saw, um, I'm sure you guys have seen it as well. Probably a lot of folks who are joining us tonight probably seen the video floating around um, on social media of the, the guy who has taken a kind of like a selfie video um, in, in the eye. And, you know, I've always said I wanted to be in the eye of a hurricane, but I, I don't think I would want to been in this eye. Now, they also That's said in, one, in another video, one of the Storm Chaser videos out of Texas, um, a re really intense video of them showing them in the eye wall there in Panama City. And stuff was, had already cracked up, broken their windshield. They were getting nailed from behind. They were just sitting ducks out there and just shrapnel going by over 100 miles per hour, just flying by them. And um, one of them actually said during the feed, my ears just popped. So pressure dropping significantly from the outer eye wall to the inner eye wall down to 900 and bottomed out at 919 millibars. That's really, really low. That's the third strongest storm to hit the United States ever. Uh, based on pressure alone. So that's significant. Uh, and that's what happens in these in the eye. I mean, the pressure is the lowest it can be. It's, um, and there's, it was really strange. There's no wind. And, and so you have, you know, really calm winds and sunny skies. It's pretty eerie. Yeah. I mean, to, to, to follow up on that, Shay, like we look, we look at these storms, like, you know, I saw a lot of those videos too. And I shared across my first personal Facebook page. And a couple of my friends, but I call that's a doctor. Uh, that's a doctor video. You know, they sped the video up and it's like, no, <laughs> I know these guys. These guys are legit. You know, they're using professional equipment. That video is not sped up. It's just, you know, I don't know if we've had a hurricane this intense since social media became what it is today. And technology, you know, uh, you take your iPhone and record 4K video with it. So 
you know, just seeing that kind of technology with it, the hurricane, I just don't think we've ever seen before. So and maybe, maybe, you know, some of these videos, while dangerous, absolutely to capture, can be used in the future to help, you know, people prepare for, you know, the kind of impacts they may, they may see from these strong hurricanes. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Soto has a, he does a pretty good thing with GoPros and he just straps them to a really strong structure and gets that video feed and tries to get somewhere safe. But Josh Morgerman is one to follow for those guys out there. He follows, he goes right into super typhoons in the Philippines and you name it, Thailand and anywhere that he can get some strong feed. I mean, there's some extreme chasers out there, but I think some of these guys that came in from Texas and other areas to chase the storm, I think they were pretty scared, man. I, I really do. They sounded like it. I would have been. No, no, no bones about it. Yeah, this is not something that you can just drive away from and be okay. I mean, this this is uh, this is not just it's not a small point on a map. It's not a small tornado. It's not a small meso. It is you are you are in it. You are in it until it's over. There is no driving west, east, north, or south. Uh, um, and, and 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 honestly, I mean, watching some of these chaser feeds, it's a miracle none of them got killed. I'll second that, Jared. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I'm glad everybody's okay. And, you know, yeah, when you chase, you take risk and, you know, that's all part of it and whatever you feel comfortable doing within reason, I guess. But, you know, I'm, I'm really surprised no one got injured. And, and thankfully, you know, like you said, you know, chasing a tornado across the plains is one thing because, you know, you, as a chaser, you always have an out. You always have like two outs, really. And, uh, you know, just that way you don't get in any kind of trouble. But, you know, with a hurricane, if you're going to chase a hurricane and want to see the eye, You've got to experience it. I mean, you've got to get in the middle of the hurricane. You've got to go through the eye wall. And with this hurricane, like like we were talking earlier, and let's say EF4 and EF5 damage along Mexico Beach, and you know, it's, it's mind-boggling. Yeah, and I don't think we've had a we we haven't had a hurricane um, in the social media era. Uh, we did have Harvey. I mean, Harvey was the first major of the social media era last year. Um, that one made landfall at night. Uh, so you didn't really get to see the full impact of it, but we haven't had one like this in a very long time. Um, and I hope we don't for a very long time because that is, I don't wish that on anybody. And this is a neutral. Don't, don't forget this is in so neutral right now. So we're not in El Nino or La Nina. We're in the middle. So we still have yet to see what a full potential La Nina can do for the tropical Atlantic basin in the next few years, whenever that does occur. So, um, yeah, we'll see. I hope that we don't have a hyperactive season. This season definitely has seemed to pan out a little bit higher than normal, uh, as far as intensity and, uh, landfalls. So it only uh, takes one. Yeah. yeah it only takes one, but we've gotten you know, two. <laughs> so yeah. Scotty, I think we got you. Uh, we got your okay. tweet of the week up. Yeah. So, um, Chris was talking about Texas. If he wasn't following yesterday, another big weather story was the uh, catastrophic flooding that happened just outside of uh, Austin, Texas. Uh, this is from Brad Souter, who is a morning meteorologist there in, uh, in the Texas area. And, um, there was a bridge that collapsed yesterday, and this is, was a main thoroughfare into Kingsland, Texas. So I'll uh, roll the video here of the Lalano River and watch the water and and there you see the bridge just getting washed away uh there was a, a comparison photo uh, on social media i didn't share because I, I i'm not sure if it was a very you know if it was verified but if it was um it was showing the the difference between the river yesterday and, and the actuality and it was 
that river, if, if that photo was right, had to be up some 30, 40 feet above. That's crazy, man. Was. That was a huge surge. I mean, that's concrete and rebar being ripped apart there. Yeah, yeah. So wow. uh, a lot of yeah. flooding down in the Texas area. Chris, go ahead. Yeah, to to uh, add with that, Scotty, I've actually been over that bridge. One of my best friends lives uh, in Round Rock, just north of Austin. We I usually go out there in the springtime go fishing at uh, uh, Buchan Lake Buchanan and uh, uh, LBJ Lake, which is Linda B. Johnson, which mm -hmm. is, you know, it feeds Lake Travis, you know, out in the hill country. And, and that's where that is. And I can remember actually driving across that bridge. You know, that the water line is usually 30 feet below that bridge. Yeah. <laughs> and then seeing that, seeing it going, it's like, wow. And uh, I know one of my other friends I follow on, I'm trying to pull it up here real quick while, while, while we're on the subject. Uh, Trisha, she's a, a storm chaser out there and a storm spotter for with uh, NWS Austin. But uh, I know she tweeted earlier about Lake Travis. It had come up like 30 feet in 24 hours. And I, I just can't even imagine that. Yeah, it was uh, our friend Ashley um, Morris. Uh, I don't think her area was was affected by this um, per se, but I know it was close enough that she had her eyes on it. So um, hopefully, all the folks there in Texas are, are being able to recover from that. But um, again, some some crazy stuff going on around the country. And, and one last thing about Michael, and when you were talking about the hurricane season, um, and Shay, I think you brought up a good point about you know we haven't even really been in La Nina yet. Uh, last year, we had uh, three significant hurricanes that their names were retired. I think it's safe to say that Florence and Michael will be retired. Um, you know, for for us as as a country, as meteorologists, where the the hurricane season was very fairly quiet. You know, for a good amount of years, the last two years have really slapped us in the face, and it's it's kind of scary to see what may be in store over the next few years. Yeah, it was definitely a little over 10 years, almost 12 years before any major hurricane made landfall since uh, 2005. And uh, so, you know, it's 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 not one of these things you say, oh, when it rains, it pours, it'll be over soon and the cycle will be done. It really is um, indicative of things to come, not, not to scare folks or anything, but we're seeing larger events with higher amounts of rainfall and flooding. This was this was a combination of both. It's a good thing it was on the move, but this, these are the kind of things we gotta look forward to, folks. I mean, you know, we're we're getting um, we're getting some more powerful storms overall in, in intensity and rainfall amounts. That's a, that's almost a fact at this point. We're seeing it as, as time goes on. Yeah, definitely so. Yeah, Scott, if you got if you got my my screen up here, uh, here's the, the pictures I was talking about from Lake Travis. I mean, that's twenty that's twenty four hours difference. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Some, some crazy stuff. Well, guys, we will uh, we'll start closing out tonight's show. We appreciate you guys watching. A big thank you to Sandy Duncan again for joining us from the uh, Farmer's Almanac. Um, as always, you can listen to the rebroadcast of this on our podcast or watch it on YouTube um, by tomorrow. Hopefully that will all be ready to go. Uh, next week, we have Rob Fowler joining us. Uh, he'll be our guest for, I think it's the 24th, October 24th. And then October 31st, we're actually taking a break, a much-needed break, I think, for for a lot of us here. Uh, it's been a very busy uh, six weeks or so, uh, October 31st. Obviously, Halloween, so we're going to be taking Halloween off. But I do believe that we are going to have a special show that we recorded earlier this year, myself and 
uh, Chris Jackson and James Barton was able to attend the uh, the Science Festival in Gastonia, and uh, we were able to uh, do some interviews with different guests. And so I think James is going to be premiering that on uh, Halloween night. So uh, we will have some content. We just won't be live. We're going to be uh, off that night, and then we're going to fe- uh, to November. Uh, as we uh, look forward to that, we have some great guests coming on. Uh, Melissa is coming on to talk about. Uh, Kokoros and the uh, climatology, uh, climatology and rainfall uh, from the last two hurricanes in South Carolina. We're also going to be talking about the red tide uh, that's been affecting um, portions of Florida. And I know we can bring up you know, how Michael may have influenced that and Tropical Storm Gordon. So some good shows coming up in the, uh, the month of November. And then December, we are booking as well. Mark Seth will be on to talk about um, his... Uh, his chase to, of Hurricane Florence and um, Hurricane Michael. So uh, some busy times coming up. But as always, we welcome your, um, your suggestions, uh, either show topics or guests, and we'd love to reach out to them to, um, to book those shows for you. So for everyone here in the Carolina Weather Group, we hope you have a great weekend. Um, stay warm out there. It's going to get chilly over this weekend, so it's going to be a shock to everyone's system, I believe. Uh, but uh, we hope you have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here next Wednesday night for another episode of the Carolina Weather.